<laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing right now. Yes, amen. Um, you know, I, I'm learning. I think I just learned something today that I thought I already knew. And um, <clears throat> probably about, hmm, about an hour ago, I wasn't feeling at all like I am right now. <laughs> you know? I didn't think I was getting, talking about the difficulty of the week would have such a highlight for the day. Yes. But, you know, I think what I'm, what I'm noticing, if I'm discerning something in the moment, I think this is what I'm catching. Universally or in a, in a big way, all of us have had kind of our, our struggles for the week, but we opened up and we shared about it. Yes. We shared about that piece of it. And I think what we did is we just opened the way for the Lord to do the rest. You know, when we leave things kind of buried or kind of hidden or we can't talk about it or whatever, oftentimes we, we carry it. But once we open up about it, the Lord allows us to be released. And I sense that here. I sense that we, we, we're getting a release. I had to talk about it, I guess. And you know what? I don't feel emotionally overwhelmed or stressed about it. And I think that's even more beautiful because I think God wants to do a lot. So <clears throat> I was a little bit... Uh, like, I'm not sure what I was going to preach today. And um, one of the things I'm wondering, after everything that's happened, how many of you are ready for me to preach today? I need to hear it. You know, I need to hear some amens or like, preach it, brother, something. Amen. I hear a few. We got a few more? Got a few more? I'm grateful to be able to share the Word of God with you. I'm touched by the presence of God. I'm deeply touched because I feel like what the Lord is showing to me in one sense is simply this. That... We feel like, you know, I like I feel like a failure at times. You know, like I hear that kind of, there's that I didn't do it well enough. I didn't, you know, press in like I should have. I remember leaving last Sunday thinking to myself, I want to really press in and spend some time with the Lord this week and found myself endlessly working on my own car and felt like it was just the opposite. <laughs> it was the opposite of what I wanted. And I kind of, really, when I really bring it to light, it felt like I was just oppressed by the circumstances of my week. And it felt like, Lord, how come it didn't? you didn't sow into my desire here, like create the opportunity for it? And I don't know, but maybe one of the things here that I'm realizing is that God likes to make precious those moments for us because he knows that under our own strength we'll collapse. He knows under your own power you fall short. And what it, the one thing about it is, is that I have a hard time admitting that my own power just doesn't get me there. I'll say it, but there's a, there's a reality of when I'm actually in process and dealing with that reality in life. And so my own power just doesn't get me there. As I hear the church worship this morning, and I hear the highlight of what God is doing, and I sense that you feel the presence of God like I do. And you feel like the Lord, no matter what just took place, He's got an immediate healing for the moment. I think we miss that. It's not a, it, it takes another lifetime to get through it. It takes another three, four more weeks to heal over. We really just need a touch of God on our lives. And when we come to that place of just recognizing what is that tender area of life that we need the touch of God in, and we start talking or open up about it, what we do is just become tender to the Lord's presence. Lord, we need your presence in this place. And the presence of God changes the context of everything. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I feel like all the weight is gone. 
And I don't feel like I had to earn it. I don't feel like I had to work toward it. I didn't feel like I had to make something happen. As a matter of fact, it seemed like when I walked into it, I was just the opposite of making it happen. I was going to make it not happen. Not that it was intentional, but I just felt like that. My wife's looking at me with a tremendous smile because she gets to see things you guys didn't. She gets to know things that you don't, and she don't get to tell you either. <laughs> Marriage is amazing that way. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I, I, I love so much about, one of the things I love so much about her is that I know that she knows things, and she's protected me and kept things between us because she knew that that was needed. And she's used wisdom throughout the years to do that. And I'll tell you what, we'll walk through years of marriage and then look back on, if we can just look on some of the history, and like, man, you were there for me. You loved me like nobody else did. And you know what? In our marriages, we know each other at our worst, right? You know things about your spouse um, that nobody else knows, and you know them at the worst. And you still are loving them. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? Isn't that really what we're, we're what it's all about? And so if we could just take that same love somehow that we've molded and shaped into our marriages and love our brothers and sisters the same way. You know, the same the thing is is that, you know, we're married, so she knows that by the end of the day she's got to figure out and I've got to figure out how to reconcile with her over things that we have. But we also know some things at the end of the day, no matter what we've faced together. We're going to remember how much we love one another. And, you know, doing life together is never easy. It's never easy. So when we think of the church, I want you to remember, we have to restore things because we know we're married. But if we had the marriage mentality in our congregation, I'm I'm married to my brother, I'm married to my sister. No matter what their faults are, no matter what they've done to hurt me, no matter what they've said to me, I'm still married to them in a degree. Now that makes it different, doesn't it? Because we can't just walk away and say, I'm going to another church. I've got to find a way to make this work better. And so I'm just grateful for what God has done in life and marriage and what I'm feeling in the moment. The Lord took the heaviness. I didn't get rid of it. Right? Amen? You know what? I, I don't know how I'm going to preach this whole message. You guys, your amens are going to tell me whether I'm going to preach this whole message or not. But... <clears throat> Um, don't let me go beyond what the Lord really wants to do, okay? Don't let me do that. I, for a while, wanted to restore, because I just felt like on Mother's Day, there was another message that the Lord really wanted to give. And obviously, I couldn't do it on that day because I had given a different one. But this is the one I wanted to share, um, at least in part. And I want to encourage the women and the mothers of our congregation, and I think that uh, and the, the ladies that will get to hear this, this is the principles of a good mother. I want you to look in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 27 through 28. The louder you are, the more I'm going to preach. Okay, that's how it is going to be. Proverbs 31, 27 through 28. Ladies, how many of you love this portion of Scripture? You know, I get the feeling that some of you are like, I'm not sure if I want to raise my hand because there's some things here I don't feel like I live up to. It's like some other woman that's out outdone me or something like that. But you're going to live up to it, and I think in many ways you already are. Verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed. Now you know why I wanted to do this on Mother's Day, right? Good one. Her children rise up and call her blessed. She um, looks tends well to her household. I want to share one thing. I want to one, one principle. I want to share with you what I believe is a good mother. A good mother studies her children. A good mother studies her children. I've watched my wife do this over the years, and um, she's known things about the kids, and she's had this uh, intuition. Ladies, you know, men don't get it a lot of times, right? We just don't have it. But the ladies, they do. And they're like, they're babies from the moment they were born. And before they were born, you knew things about that baby that that man had no clue about. And it's like, I wish I could clue him in somehow, and he's just not getting it. But that's because she's studying. She's Now, that's what God has given her as a calling was to her children into her home. And it's amazing to see that happen because part of that calling means that God has informed her in things he hasn't informed me in. God is speaking to her. And I understand that because as a pastor, it's so important to get the download of God's vision in his heart for the people of God, for the community and others. And there's ways that God's going to speak that to me that you're not going to get. But in part of it, you're going to be a part of whatever God's doing there. And so I wanted to get behind her in her motherhood and a part of raising our home. So here's another scripture for you in Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Listen to this. Go ahead and turn there. I'll, I'll, I won't just say it. Go ahead and turn to Titus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5. <clears throat> now what I'm going to ask the rest of you to do while you're turning there is you're like, well, I'm not a mother. I'm a man or whatever. I want you to glean out of this what God would speak to you. <clears throat> Maybe you have to put it in a little bit different context, but you can get something that the Lord's going to speak to you. And the mothers, this isn't necessarily an instruction. This is a highlight for what I see good mothers, godly mothers, what I've seen in the ladies of this congregation and others. My own mom has demonstrated this to me. So this isn't me instructing, but in some ways, I'm sure it will be for like areas in life where you're like, I see that need in me. So just capture what God wants for you in it. Chapter 2, verse 5, Titus. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now you're like, how does that apply to studying your children? Because as you're called to be homemakers, that means you invest yourself. And I think that when you study your children, what I mean by that is that I think good mothers have looked at their children over years and watched them as they grow and they didn't just study what they liked and their preferences and what were important to them, but they learned to give them what they needed, and they learned that even against the grain of sometimes their own flesh and desires, they poured into their children the things that were the most important. So they studied their kids to know what was the most important, what they needed the most, and also what, what is it that's just them, the differences between each of our children is huge. And every one of them have their different personalities and different pieces to them. And so I just see mothers that study that. So as a homemaker, that just seems like that's just what women know I'm supposed to do. That's what God's called me to do is know my children like nothing else. I believe that God's called a mother to be an expert of her children. Maybe an expert in nothing else. And this is my definition for expert. Somebody who's an expert knows a lot about one thing and not much about anything else. 
They spent their life absorbed into this thing. Now, I believe that mothers are good at that because they've spent the majority of their time learning and knowing God, and they get discernment from the Holy Spirit. But the other piece is that they're simply drawn to know their children because they know that this is God's calling. This is God's direction. This is my purpose for life. This is why I live and breathe, is to know my children and to know God, to know how to make my home and to make it a place as close to heaven on earth as I possibly can. And that's a lifetime goal. That doesn't, you just don't step into that and it just happens. The anointing behind that is something that happens every single day. Some things I was thinking about in an expert or somebody who's devoted is this. Devotion is propelled. So we think behind the expert is somebody who's devoted. Devotion is propelled by worth. What I mean by that is, is that time and talented oftentimes are wasted on trivial things. But children are not one of them. What we've done is, is that we've devoted ourselves to something that we realize. We've put time and life. I mean, think about this. How many of us from the day we were born to this day, and we know we're just making our way to the grave, how many of us are looking back on life and say, I've spent life for what I feel like it's worth. This little vapor that just comes for a short time and then vanishes away. Have I spent my vapor in vain? Have I lived it the way I wanted to live it and the way I should have? What was the purpose for my living and breathing? And sometimes we look back on life and say, I see the world of mistakes and sins and problems that have occurred just as a result of my choices. But when it's all said and done, whether you lived it right or not, you're going to look back and say, what was the purpose and design of life to begin with? And here you see one of them. And God has given that to the, the wonder and the beauty of His call for a mother, and that is their children. And so children are not trivial. You know, and I hear people talk about teenagers and adults, and we need to watch our mouths and our tongues because oftentimes what happens is we say the thing that we're feeling and we're not saying the thing that's the reality. The reality is they're infinitely more valuable than we've ever began to think about. And because they live in your home and they breathe and you are the one that's responsible for them, you have to invest everything you know, everything you've got, even the parts that you don't have. You feel like, Lord, if I can just pull it down from heaven, I am going to find a way to get closer to my son and my daughter. I am going to invest the kingdom of God in them. Whatever you deposit in my spirit is going to be a breath of inspiration to my family. I will not be the husband. I will not be the wife. I will not be the, the father or the mother who will just lazily stand by when I could be in the prayer closet for this son or daughter, gleaning the vision of heaven for them, anticipating the glory of God in their life, and seeing things for them that they don't see for themselves. And I'm investing myself into what God wants to show to me. I believe a good mother is just as much studying her children through the eyes of the Lord and the lens that God gives them. And the more devout they are toward God, the more they have to be able to pour into their families. Thank you, ladies, for those of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. I've poured into my family. I've sought God from heaven. And I didn't just express to Him my frustrations and, and the struggles that I had with my kids as I grew up. But as they grew up, I began to glean more and more what heaven's call was for them. Thank you. Thank you for the witness that that's been. Thank you for the inspiration that is to other women who will be young mothers. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for the mark that you've left in the world that one day you will depart from and you don't know the everlasting reality of that. 
but it's going to come to play probably in your own children. Worth is a key. Worth is the key to purpose. Worth is the key to purpose. If there's a value to it, then that's what purpose is all about. You're like, what's my purpose? Well, what's valuable? Like we hear all the time, and it's really important. Or what are your, <clears throat> what are the priorities of life? I talked to a, a man just recently, and he was sharing about a tragedy that had taken place in their home, or an almost tragedy, and he said this. And I, I tell you what, it sobered me. It sobered me, and I heard him say this. I heard him say, we're rethinking life all over again. Rethinking about what's priority, what we need to be doing, what's important. Wow. That's me. You know, like all of us need to like, oh, do I need a tragedy to hit me? Do I need something stark and difficult to face before, you know, before I get under the hood? Or is it time to just do it right now? Pastor just said something. I'm inspired in the moment. I don't need a tragedy. I don't need struggle to get me there. I just need to go just jump on Jesus' wagon. Lord, here I am. What do you need to show me? What do I need to know for life? I don't want to miss a priority today. I don't want to be so bound up in just living life that I missed the important pieces of it. And I certainly don't want to wait till tomorrow. I want to do it right now. I got some amen, so that means preach longer. I hear it. Good. A good mother never ceases to improve because she never quits applying the new gained knowledge of her growing children, nor missing an opportunity to let God pour His wisdom into her. She never quits improving because she takes all that knowledge constantly and reassesses and renavigates life through the knowledge that she now possesses. And as the kids get older and the changes take place, she's just getting better and better at what she does. You know, and, and we talk about, man, we think it's a full-time job. And you know, the truth is we can mess up whatever we do. You can build a house. You can work on a car. You can do anything and you can mess it all up and you can buy a new one. But I, guess, I can tell you what, you can't mess up on your kids. You can't buy a new one. You can't go back and just undo the time. Whatever you've done, you've done. But I'll say this, if you feel like you've messed up, you're still alive and they are too, right? So do something about it now. Don't wait another day. Start improving on the graces that were missed in life and work on them. And bless your children because I know you have a heart for them. I know that's the reality. Heartbreaks and struggles in life and all that, they get in the way. But the reality is you love them. I know you love them. And I know that no matter what those disappointments are, you're like, I want to do something. Don't get to the place where you feel like they're the lost cause because the relationship's been broken. Keep sowing into that relationship. Find a way back in. You will. You will. If you want it, you will. Pray to God and let Him in. You know, I want to share this story. My wife, <clears throat> i got to be careful for these stories because I have, but this one's a good one because it just shows how she's helped me. <laughs> but when, when Isaac was just a baby, and, you know, your first just redefines life for you for sure. And uh, he was just a baby, and so she was, <clears throat> she was the one responsible for feeding him and, you know, putting him to bed for the most part and all that. And so she told me, she said, I want, so he'd be in, in she'd, she'd have fed him, and she'd put him to bed, and, you know, a few few minutes later or whatever, he'd start crying. And I was like, got to go get the baby, you know, got to keep him from crying and hold him. And she said, no, keep him there. Let him let him cry himself to sleep. And I thought, and I know some of you haven't parented that way, but I remember how we did it. And I thought, you know, it was our job to be able to find a way. 
And I could not hardly pull myself away from that crib to pick up my little baby boy to, to keep him from crying. I felt like that was the part of the father is to keep the baby from crying. But, you know, if you've been a parent for very long, you realize they cry and they're going to keep crying. They're going to cry a lot. And after another one and another one, you like my wife was very smart and she was very wise about this whole thing. And so I did. I did it. And I was grateful that I did because I saw after a week or so that he just kind of fell asleep and there wasn't much for crying and he slept through the night. And that gave her the blessing of being able to feed him at proper times. You know, it's bad enough to have to wake up at certain times. It's worse that if your husband keeps trying to console the baby and he keeps crying. <laughs> it's like you keep, you stay awake with him, you know. So, But what I see in that is simply this, is that she had spent a very little part of her life knowing in her intuition and then also studying. I remember her looking in books and she was reading books on parenting before I ever, before it even got started. And I just saw she was studying before they even were born. Grateful for the mothers that have done this. And I know that it's almost instinct to do it. Something we men miss oftentimes. We really miss. Our society doesn't pay attention to. Trying to force you out into the work world and not realizing how important the home is. <clears throat> Anybody want me to keep going? I could get to my last point, and I got a couple more. What would you want? I'm hearing just a few more. Okay. A good mother is known by the way she cares. God so loved. Remember that John chapter three verse sixteen. I think she just got it from her maker, but that's God so loved. In First Thessalonians chapter two verse seven, it says, "But we behaved ourselves gently." When we were among you, like a devoted mother, tenderly caring for her own children. A mother cares. I was reminded while I was putting this together of my mom, and I remember you know, the devastation of what it was like in our home and the difficulty that she had faced. But I remember simply that my mom would, um, after she left my dad, because of the, the abuse in the home, and I'll tell you that to this day, I'm grateful that she did. It could have either spared her life or spared me more years with the beautiful mom that I have. And But I remember this, that she never quit caring. She never quit doing everything she could in her power to invest into our home, even with those. And I remember under the threat of her life, my dad, she said my dad would tell her uh, that he would he would kill her if he had ever if she ever tried to take us away. Now, I'm only painting that picture not to mar my dad's image or to show what my mom went through. What I wanted to do is, is that I see in mothers this beautiful picture of women who are so invested in their children, even under the threat of death, they will still be faithful. And you ladies know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean by that. And you've been under some of the most difficult situations. You would have given everything you had, even your own life, in order to be there for them. Well, I remember my mom dropping off food at the door, bringing it into the house because my dad was off drinking and she was dropping food off to us. And I remember looking into the refrigerator and you'd have bear cans sticking here and there was no food in the refrigerator. But not, not until she brought food. But when it came to my dad, he was drinking all the resources away and she was just bringing it back into the home. I remember my mom working minimum wage job as a waitress. And she worked, she worked hard. And I believe to this day that she had invested in me without even knowing she invested in me a hard-working desire to work hard and be faithful. And, and what I see is, I see my mother every time a job starts and I'm the first one there, and when it's ended and I'm still the last one to leave. I see my mother in that. And I don't know why, but I feel like 
that somehow that she didn't teach me, she didn't tell me, she just lived it in front of me. And I, it's been birthed inside of me because of the faithfulness. Ladies, please remember your faithfulness will find its way into your children in ways that you never even thought possible. You may not be saying a word and yet it's finding its way into their life. And that's why I share that. is because what a beautiful testimony of what she was and the care that she had devoted herself to. And it's simply that. And I remember, you know, Christmas presents under the tree. And I remember my dad harassing her about it. But I know she was the one working for it. I know that, that she would put Christmas presents under the tree that she had spent months putting them on layaway so she could pay them off. She would do anything. You know, it wasn't the presents that mattered. But I'll tell you, the sacrifice is something that I'll remember to this day. She'd be proud to hear me say it. She'd be proud to hear me say that. You know, sons, those of us as children, men and women now, we still remember those things, marks about our children. Let's not remember the bad things, but remember the good stuff. For every son and daughter who looks back on their upbringing, most unforgettable moments of which have cultivated not just precious memories, but their, our ethics and the foundation of our lives are the never-dying memories of our mother's care. Inspiration for mothers. I just want to share this with you. The best of a godly mother is never spent in vain. You are the reason evil does not triumph. The virtue of love is defined through your selfless care. You know, we wonder what love is. Can a dictionary define it better than a, than a mother who's loved her children, been there through the, the thick and the hard things? Absolutely. There's no, there's no definition like it is to see it in play. There's no definition. So evil has not triumphed because you've stayed faithful. Here's the third one, uh, principle. I got four of them. You still want me to keep going? Good. A good mother nurtures her family. Proverbs 31.15. So you might still be in Proverbs. If you're there, go ahead and, or if you're not, go ahead and turn back to Proverbs 31, verse 15. Sounds like you're there. <laughs> she also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maid hand, or her maidservants. She also she rises also while it is night and provides food for her household and portion for her maidens. Nurture, she nurtures her family. I see that in this verse. You know, I think about this. I didn't really get to share that I grew up in a good home. But what I can say is this. It could have been worse, right? So we can, we can see that piece to it. But I, 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 what I do know is this. I know there's a lot of people who have grown up in good homes. Oh, that's all right. We live for those moments. <laughs> it's either the Bible app or that one or the other, but we're good. Um, so, but those of you who have been in a good home, I think you can say this much, and I've heard people say it. Those who can testify in growing up in a good home will certainly say much about nurture. Nurture is a word we don't hear much about, but is extremely important. Now, I spent some time doing some meditating on the word nurture. Because I'll tell you what, as a man, we don't really meditate on the word nurture. It's just not a part of our vocabulary. Although, it's a very important part of your life, whether you paid any attention to it or not. You're probably half the man you are because of, really. And so, here's, here's what I want to share with you on nurture. I think this is, this is the definition from my time in meditation. 
You know, dictionary just doesn't go far enough for me. That's why I do this. It is an investment of love given especially to those who are sick and those who are recovering. It is an instantaneous balm to our spirit that feeds us with hope in the midst of suffering. It is a genuine expression of the gospel to those who cannot help themselves. It is what every human being longs for. And all the more when tragedy and pain threaten to swallow us up. I just want to say that one more time. It is what every human being longs for. And all the more when tragedy and pain threaten to swallow us up. It is perhaps the last drop of hope that one will know just before they die. And the first sense of well-being that one will remember when recovering. Without nurture, healing would be without hope, and health without well-being. You know, you could be healed, but if you weren't nurtured, the healing wouldn't really do you that much. Nurture is really the bigger part of the healing. That's the better piece of it. How many of you think that that was defined well? How many of you feel like that that went in good? I'm, I'm seeing some ads good. I really do. And if some of you want to write that down or get it, I can leave notes here so that you can grab them. I actually have extra copies of notes every time I'm done with a sermon. So I, I'll, I'll willingly just leave it there. If somebody wants to grab them, you can have them. You know, cause, And the reason I say that is because I feel like there's some expressed to me, hey, I want that down. I was trying to take notes. Some have actually asked me for the notes. And um, rather... That is, so I, I thought, you know what, I have these. I thought about this today, and I thought, I always have them. Somebody can grab them. Now, you can't fight for them. I can, I can always get an extra set or something like that, but we'll give them. Not that I expect that, but. Lastly, a good mother lives near God. A good mother loves near, lives near God. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 31. It took most of them from Proverbs. 31, verses 15 through 29. She also rises, rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. You know, there's many ways that that's going to find its way into our life through one situation or another, but I think it's simply this. The fear of God navigates a good mother because the truth is, if we allow for our feelings and our nature to control life, we are bound to mess it up and do it bad. I'll tell you something. This is when I try and define sovereignty, because sovereignty in many ways is absolute control. So we talk about the sovereignty of God, and we hear God's in control. But then we have this piece of, but what happens when I mess up? What happens when I sin? Was God in control of that sin? Did he make me to sin? Did he encourage me to sin? And especially when the Bible says God's tempted no man to sin. So there's this complexity of, I play a role in what God is doing, and there's a piece of his sovereignty, he's in control, but I also have the ability to choose. So how do you define sovereignty in that? This is how I define it. I define sovereignty as that God still maintains an authority of control, an ultimate control, 
in all things, even while you have the power of choice. He doesn't force you to make a certain choice, but he holds the authority. Now, this is the way that I look at it, is when you play the game chess, there's always a counterplay to what you've done. So what I've learned is this, is that somebody who's good at the game knows when, you're ready, when you make a move, they know already three moves ahead of you. This is, they're already pre-strategizing. I think God knows that when you make this move, I'm going to make this move, and you're generally going to go this direction. And the truth of it is this, is not that God absolutely directs every single thing that you choose, but that God maintains a sovereignty in your choosing. So it's kind of like putting a barricade when you make bad choices. Putting barricades so that you feel like you're obligated to move in another direction. And eventually you start cluing in to the reality that I'm not the one doing this, that God is. And hopefully when the mercy opens your eyes, I've constantly, when God puts up a barricade, I go work my way around it and there's another one. The truth be told, when it's all said and done, God wins the game. <laughs> That's the tragedy for a lot of people. Because they don't, want to, they don't want to face that reality. I kept doing it my own will. I still have to face a day of judgment. I still have to deal with God on the final day of every choice that I made. And imagine what it would be like to face God on judgment day. And you made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. God navigated his will around you. But you're still going to have to face the fact that his, in his heart, in his will, he wanted you to go the right way. But you kept going the opposite direction. So he maintained his sovereignty, so you're not going to be able to look at it, and God failed because I made wrong choices, right? But you're still not going to be able to say, but God can't judge me because he was an ultimate control. And that final bit, we're going to actually see God in the full picture. And the beauty of it is when we allow, we start living near God, then we're not navigating around him, we're navigating with him. We don't have blockings. We don't have struggles like that. That's why in many cases you see the Christian life, it's like even in your struggles, you still are victorious. You still have testimony through everything you go through because God navigated me in the midst of it. I surrendered. I yielded in it. And I think that that's really, really important. I want to say this. It is amazing how many virtues are attached to godless mothers. Just because you're a mother doesn't mean you're... you're a godly mother, godless mother. So I say it's amazing to see that. But this is to show that even in our sinfulness, there's a part of us that cannot escape our dependency on the origin of our being. There is an imprint in our created nature that exclusively belongs to God. And despite our sinfulness, we cannot escape our inner demand to marry those virtues to our Redeemer. See, there's a sense that mothers, they just naturally, this inclination, even if they're not saved, even if they don't know God, they're still inclined to move in the direction God wants them to be. But the truth is, it's never fully what it was designed to be until connected to God. And there was a fact that you were created for a design and a purpose. You can't get away from it. So that's why I believe that even when there's a godless mother, that she will still practice things that godly women would because there's an innate sense, I need to be connected to the one who created me. Even though my drive is to live for myself and to do my own thing, I still sense that I need to be connected to the one who created me. So I'm going to enact a lot of those outward virtues, but disconnected from the one who gave me life. 
But when God redeems you, then he brings it all together in what is actual full intention. I love what Tina said earlier about the moon. And it's like now the full moon in our life. We're on full display and we're a complete reflection of what God intended. So I see that. In a good mother, she walks close to God and there's this full sense of glory in her life on display for us. And so there's this virtue that's connected back to God. I had a conversation with a man. One of the most incredible conversations I had when I was on the job. And this man, he said, I believe in moral code. I just don't believe in religion. I don't believe in God, that kind of thing. And I said, you know, that's interesting because I always believed that good religion and God was directly connected to moral code. I could see something like click. That mind was like thinking after I made that statement. Because I think that that's the thing is what we've we've seen this. We've seen people who profess with their lips, but their heart has been far from Him. So their lifestyle is so separate from a real connection to God. And they've seen that on display and they're like, that's not, I don't believe in that. But what you do believe in naturally is a created human being You believe in the moral code that God deposited in every human being. There's a sense of right and wrong in every one of us. But now the problem is this. What you don't believe in is is where that moral code came from, that that's the kind of God that comes out of it. So what we've done is we've allowed the perversion to define for us whether there's a reality to God or a reality to religion rather than to see the remnant body of Christ who are living for Jesus and a good example of that Not a perfect, but a good example of that in a way that we can't, it doesn't put blemishes constantly on the Lord. Then we have a redefining factor in our world around us. And I think that's all that mothers need to see when they're not walking with Jesus. They just need to see the genuine, real believer living it out. I know that made a huge impact on my life. And lastly, a good mother is just a woman who will not leave her virtues to an environment that ultimately will pervert them. See, the, the thing that separates us as Christians is not that we don't see moral, you know, a, a moral, good moral conduct in people. It's that it's divorced from a real relationship with Jesus. And because of that, a good mother will never stay in that environment. She is going to be as married to Jesus as she is, knowing her children and, and loving them. And what I want to say is this. I am grateful for the product that I see in it because we talk about you know, discipleship, and I believe... When, when you ask me, James, what do you think, Pastor, what do you think the discipleship is all about? And I believe it's simply this. I believe it's a I never give up on you mentality. I don't quit. Now, I know this. This, this is the thing. The lack of fruitfulness gives us every reason to leave that field. And there's a lot of people who have a lack of fruitfulness in life. But mothers don't do that toward their children because they knew, know that even if there's not fruitfulness, there's still value. Remember I talked about freedom. There's an intrinsic value to emptying myself out for something that is intended to be good, that has a purpose to it. And I believe a good mother knows this. It's not the outcome. It's the design that you had from the beginning. My children may not be walking with Jesus. They may not be doing what God wanted them to do. And I can see they're living the struggles that that's all about. But the outcome isn't whether it's for the glory of God. The design is whether it was for the glory of God. Your life and what you lived was an excellent example. You lived Jesus in front of them. Not a perfect life necessarily, but you showed 
that even in your struggles, you went back to where they were supposed to go. And you modeled for them everything that they needed to know to connect with Jesus. The design in mind was to let them connect. Let them connect through what they saw and observed in your life. And you knew you didn't want to force the life of Jesus on them. You didn't want to force them into being a Christian. You wanted them to know the value of being a Christian. So you had to just model it and demonstrate it. And you were. And you were a beautiful demonstration. And rather they hitched it and locked in on it. The beauty is eternal. The reward is everlasting. And it's already yours. Whether they make it there or not. And that's the value of being a mother. A good woman. A good mother. Is simply that you see that already ahead of time. The reward is in the faithfulness to God. The miracle is what He does to get a hold of their heart. And you know it's a miracle. You know what is a miracle that it got in your heart. It's like, like Jesus working under the hood in my life. Like, no, it's better off. You just go sell it and go get something else. You know, this is a better ride somewhere else. The reality is, is that we are ferocious and terrible. And knowing that, folks, knowing that should create a new atmosphere in our lives with one another. It should create a new atmosphere. Because the fallibility isn't the thing that destroys the gospel. It's the fact that we won't love one another despite those things. And we know we all have it. We know we all deal with it. And the fallible is a part of the peace of Jesus putting it all together. Jesus putting, bringing His perfection and beauty into our life and just making it remarkable. And you know, and when it's all said and done, and I shared this, actually I shared this with Mark yesterday. We were talking about some things together. And I said, one of the things that God's helped me see is we're reading the Word of God. Every revelation is an act of mercy. See, just because I'm a Christian and because the blood of Jesus has covered me doesn't mean God owes me another revelation of Scripture, another realization of something in the Bible that I look at and say, Lord, I just read something that changes my life. See, this is the thing I say is this, is that we need the revelation of God to so... It's simply kind of like this. I, what I capture naturally is not enough for me to see it powerfully, vivid enough to take my heart in the direction it needs to go. So God gives me a supernatural revelation of the Word of God to take me where I can't go by natural revelation. So when God does that, He does it because He's enacting mercy one more time on me. If He didn't do that, I wouldn't make it. But he doesn't have to do it. That's the beauty of his love. Because I didn't, I didn't do anything to earn it. So folks, whenever God does something precious, just do what you did today. Just do what you did today and give a testimony. You know, Give a testimony of how God brought you through something. Whatever it is. Because that's your way of saying, God, not only have you been merciful to reveal and, and open up a way for me so that I wouldn't be in darkness. You know, Mark said something... Uh, yesterday that really struck me and he said what he was recognizing in his life was simply how much God has done and he looks at it like Lord why me why do I get this I mean I want it but why do I get this and so and so doesn't how come others haven't gotten it and that's exactly what I'm talking about that's the mercy Jesus why did you reveal this to me others didn't get that revelation somebody else didn't but you gave it to me because he loves you and I think that's the other piece to a good mother is that she's gotten that over and over again. And she's investing those pieces of what God's put in her life into her children. And we're just a byproduct of what God's done. Amen?
So it, I told you to glean something from it if you're not a mother. So guys, I think that you can simply say whatever God has done in my life was there so that I could deposit it in somebody else's life. And it's just as precious as it is for a mother to have it. Well, come to the end of that sermon there. I want to give you guys an opportunity again as we uh, invite for worship to recast this in heart. And I don't think that I'm calling necessarily for, there might be a need of repentance here, but there might also be this extension of a vision for mothers today. And if it is, and you know your kids, and you're praying for them, and you've been praying for them, what I, I hope that this has been an encouragement that's going to enlarge your prayer time and your sense before the Lord. So, But I'm going to ask for Tina and um, Will to come up and uh, sing for us. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to do the same thing that I have. But I'm going to let Susie here in just a second. Actually, I'm going to let you do it right now, because that may change what I'm about to say. <laughs> well, I have something to read that came to me this morning about So this was, I found, uh, I found this this morning. Have you ever noticed how in scriptures men are always, always going up to the mountains to commune with the Lord? Yet in the scriptures we are hardly ever hear of women going to the mountains. But why? But we know why, right? Because women are too busy keeping life going. They couldn't abandon babies, meals, homes, fires, gardens, and thousands of responsibilities to climb the mountains. I was talking to a friend the other day, saying that as a modern woman, I feel that I am never free enough from my responsibilities, never in a quiet enough space I want with God. Her response floored me. That is why God comes to women. Men have to climb the mountain to meet God. But God comes to women where they are. I have never been pondering on her words for weeks. And then I searched the scriptures to see that what she is said is true. God does indeed come to women where they are when they are doing their ordinary everyday work. He meets them at the wells where they draw water for their families, in their homes, in their kitchens, in their gardens. He comes to them as they sit beside sick beds, as they give birth, care for the elderly, and perform necessary mourning and burial rites. Even at the empty tomb, Mary was the first to witness Christ's resurrection. She was there because she was doing the womanly chore of preparing Christ's body for burial. In these seemingly mundane and ordinary tasks, these women of the scriptures found themselves face to face with divinity. So if, like me, you ever start to bemoan the fact that you don't have enough time to spend in the mountains with God as you would like, remember, God comes to women he knows where we are and the burdens we carry. He sees us. And if we open our eyes and our hearts, we will see him, even in the most ordinary and most ordinary most ordinary places and the most ordinary things. He lives and he's using 
such a time as this to speak to us women around the world. Thank you, Susie. Wow. You know what hits me is that she said she read that this morning. Well, we didn't talk to her another that this is what God is going to do. I think the Lord has his hand in on it. You know, I want to share this. There's some of you, you may have just that burden of life on your heart, and you want to 